Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. My name is Doug Parker. Very happy to have you here, my friend. A review of Norwegian Cruise Line's Norwegian Sky this week. It was a seven-night Caribbean cruise. But first, staff writer Richard Sims has the story on four Carnival Cruise Line passengers arrested in Port Miami. You know, sometimes you just have to ask yourself, what were they thinking? And that is definitely the case with these four. They were on the Carnival Celebration, and they were arrested when the ship returned to Miami on Sunday. These folks ran up thousands of dollars in credit card bills during the trip. And while that's not necessarily unusual, I mean, it's pretty easy to run up a big bill if you really try, it turns out they were using stolen credit cards. What's insane to me is that they did this on a ship. I mean, think about it. If you use stolen credit cards on land, you walk into a store and you make some purchases and walk out, get in your car and drive away. If, you know, something goes wrong and the clerk is like, um, I don't think this is really your card, you run and you run quickly as far as you can. But if you get caught on a ship, there is literally nowhere for you to go. As my cruise-hating best friend would say, you are trapped at sea. Anyway, once the ship docked, they were arrested, taken to Miami-Dade Correctional Facility for processing. Something tells me that they won't be enjoying their new accommodations quite as much as they did the staterooms they had on the ship. It sure seems like they knew what was going on and wanted to give them just enough rope to hang themselves with all those charges. I sort of agree, especially since one of them actually booked the credit the, the cruise with a stolen credit card. Yeah. A lot of the uh, charges that they wrote that they rang up were on board the ship, but at least one of the four booked it with a stolen credit card. So yeah, I have a feeling you are very, very right there. And two cruise passengers got a little too carried away at the uh, Park West Gallery art auction. Look, I'll be the first to admit I'm not a huge fan of the art galleries you find on cruise ships. I think they use high-pressure tactics to sell overpriced pieces. But that doesn't mean you should just try and walk in and steal the art, which is what these two passengers on the Carnival Legend out of Baltimore apparently did. According to the court documents, a man and woman strolled into the area around 2 a.m., I'm willing to bet there was alcohol involved, although there is no mention of that in the report. But they basically shoved a couple of sculptures under their jackets and walked out. When the gallery realized that a few things were missing, they looked at security footage and what do you know, there the accused thieves were. So what did they just have to have? The court reports indicate that the art lovers tried to get a five-finger discount on Robert Wyland's piece called Kiss the Sea, which is valued at around $6,200. And the second piece was called Tapping the Keys for Love by artist Marcus Glenn, and that one is valued at around $6,600. The FBI used social media to try and, you know, figure out where these people were, went to their house, and voila, found the missing art in their home. So, you know, it's, 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 it's proving yet again, crime doesn't pay, kids. Buy what you want, don't steal it. I do enjoy walking through the art gallery and looking at those uh, bizarre paintings of like the olive playing the piano with the strawberry sitting on there with the legs crossed. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's a that is some fetish stuff going on there. I know. I I noticed some this weekend as well, and some of them. I love that some of them. They're like you know this cruise only, and you've seen that same painting for like five years on like fifteen yeah. different ships. Yeah. And another Carnival ship, Carnival's in the news a lot this week, 
with a propulsion issue. Unfortunately, this has been a real continuing issue for this particular class of ships. You know, this time around, it is the Carnival Panorama, which wound up having to sail at reduced speeds and as a result, skipped two of the ports on last week's Mexican Riviera sailing. If there's a plus side... It's that guests were given like $400 in onboard credit per stateroom and had their taxes and fees returned to them. But the real question for me is what happens next? Because Panorama isn't slated for a dry dock until next year. But obviously, this isn't a problem that can be ignored until then. Either it needs to be fixed or, I mean, I guess you could like adjust all of your itineraries to make up for the reduced speed and say, okay, we're now only going, you know, to one port and back. But I kind of feel like she's going to have to be repaired in the very near future as opposed to continuing to sail with this problem. Yeah, and whatever keeps going out, right, whether it's a circuit board in the Azipod or a bearing or whatever it is, it's something to do with the propulsion unit. It, it seems like they, they're they having to get those you know, flown in from Italy or wherever, Northern Europe, wherever it's made, but then it's the frequencies happening so fast that it's, I don't know, maybe they can't keep up with it because things keep frying or shearing or whatever so fast. And it's really unusual because, you know, it's not like these are the only ships that have azipods. So, you know, why is this particular type of ship, this particular class, the Vista class, why is it having so many propulsion issues? Because it is this class that we've seen it in the most of late. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting story there. So a man went overboard on a Norwegian cruise line ship. Yeah, another man overboard. This time, the person who went overboard was on the Norwegian Pearl as it was sailing from the Bahamas back to Miami. Uh, the man in question was 41 years old, and he was taking part in what I believe was the first annual Headbanger Boat event. If that kind of sounds vaguely familiar, you probably watched MTV growing up because they used to have the Headbangers Ball. Uh, it was a huge thing they did every year. This chartered cruise was actually hosted by Ricky Rotman, who used to host the MTV version of this event. Uh, they did like a nine-hour search after the person was reported missing, but unfortunately, he was not found. The waters were very, very choppy, so it's assumed at this point that he did not make it. This is the 12th man overboard incident to take place so far in 2023. And on the, your first reaction is to think, you know, wow, that's a lot of people going overboard. But when you think about the number of people who cruise at any given time, the number of people who are out at sea on any given week, it's, it's actually a very, very, very surprisingly kind of small number. Unfortunately, you know, we did have a case last week, fortunately, where the person went overboard and was found within like an hour. But that was the exception to the rule. Most of the time when someone goes overboard, you know, we, we, the, it ends with an unsuccessful attempt to locate them. Hey, just curious, I just pulled this number for a research article last week. If you had to guess how many people are cruising ocean boats worldwide in 2023? All year? Oh, mm -hmm. my God. I, geez, I can't even begin. I'm going to just take a wild guess and say 2.3 million. 31.5 million people cruising in 2023 wow. worldwide. That's insane. Yeah. And yet, what's really incredible about that number is that, you know, there may be 20-some million people cruising this year, but... 
it's it's a pretty well established fact that a very small portion of the population actually cruises. You know, mm-hmm. like they're constantly talking about how many people there are out there who have never experienced a cruise. We all know people in our lives who have never experienced a cruise. And, and, and of course, that 20 million people doesn't take into account multiple cruisers, like, you know, you or myself who cruise several times a year. But still, it's a huge number, and yet at the same time, it's a small number compared to how many people are out there who haven't yet cruised. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and just in case you're wondering, 29.7 people cruised in 2019, the year before the cruise industry shut down. All right, moving on here. Uh, A really bad storm over the weekend injured about 100 people on a cruise ship. Yeah, almost every person who's ever taken a cruise has experienced a little, at least a little bit of bad weather. Um, on my trip last week, we had a day or two of bad weather. In fact, it was enough that they changed our itinerary a little bit. Um, so, you know, it's not unusual and it's becoming more and more common as, you know, hurricane season is extended and climate warming is impacting how, how rough the seas can get and stuff. But very few ships find themselves in the kind of rough seas that the Spirit of Discovery, a saga ship, hit. They intended to ride out the storm by seeking shelter, but the bay into which they hoped to do that was closed. So they turned and started back to the UK. Unfortunately, not only did they wind up sitting in the heart of the storm for about 18 hours, but their propulsion safety system was activated due to the bad weather. And at that kind of set off a chain of events, which caused the the ship to tilt to one side. As a result, there were some injuries on board. In fact, there were reportedly about 100 people were injured on board. Not terribly seriously, but some were serious. Uh, this the, the ship eventually was able to return to the UK. The line kind of tried to minimize what went down in their initial statement, saying, you know, yes, we went through some bad weather and a few people were injured, blah, blah, blah. But passengers who'd been on board kind of immediately ran to the media and set the record straight and were like, no, this is way worse than they were making it sound. Um, we were afraid for our lives and there were, you know, multiple kind of semi-serious injuries on board. So, you know, it, it does happen, unfortunately. When you're when you're setting sail on the seven seas, Mother Nature is in charge and, you know, they do their darndest to avoid this type of thing. And like I said, the ship did try to avoid being in the storm, but the route it wanted to take was for whatever reason unavailable to them. And so this kind of a perfect storm, which is probably a bad turn of phrase in this case, but this confluence of events led to these people being in a more dangerous situation than I'm sure anybody at the cruise line ever wanted them to be in. Yeah, this is one of those stories, though, where you have to take what the cruise line says and have to take what the guests say, and it's probably somewhere in the middle there, you know, because you you see that. Totally agree. I thought I was on the Titanic type stuff, you know? Right. And and I mean, we do, whenever we see these kind of things, we do try and find that balance because we we know from experience, you know, that cruise lines do their darndest to underplay. No ma- I mean, no matter what happens, they try very, very hard to sort of underplay it because they don't want to scare future passengers, which, you know, I guess makes sense. But you also see the people on board who either A, want to run to the camera and get a little bit of attention, mm-hmm. or who B, seriously did feel like they were in danger, even though they probably weren't. I remember years ago, I was on a Norwegian ship that went through a very, very bad storm through for, for the same same situation. We thought we were going to be able to sail around it. It ended up 
catching us. Um, I woke up, I at one point was laying in bed and we were going up and down so much that I was sort of like thrown against the, the wall beside my bed. And that's how I woke up. There were people on that ship who were would have sworn to you that we were going to sink, you know, that we were in really bad, bad, bad shape and we were going to sink. It really wasn't that bad. And people who have sailed through very, very bad storms um, or even mildly bad storms know that, you know, ultimately this was not as bad as it might seem to some. But if you are not experienced with that type of thing, it can be terrifying, especially knowing that you have images of Titanic uh, in your head, which is probably the most popular um, cultural reference we have to cruising other than the love boat, which never went through these types of storms. Right. So it, it can be scary, but it's also, um, you're right, it, it, it does need to be balanced out between what they say and what passengers say and what the cruise line says. And the news of the weird here. Tell us about this runaway barge. Okay, well, first of all, this story, <laughs> I can't help but when I hear it, think about a, a plot that happened on Grey's Anatomy a few years ago. They had some plot involving a barge in Seattle, and Meredith Grey fell overboard and had an out-of-body experience. Anyway, this wasn't quite that dramatic, thanks to the efforts of a water taxi captain. So what happened was, a barge was blown off the moorings by high winds. We hear about this every now and then. You know, the side of any ship is basically like a giant sail, so if it gets hit just right by, you know, heavy winds, next thing you know, it's being blown off of its more and off of the pier. Um, what could have happened was it was sort of headed toward a very popular and potentially crowded area down near the Seattle Aquarium and where, you know, if you watch shows set in Seattle, you often see that giant Ferris wheel. It was heading toward that area. But the aforementioned captain of a water taxi saw what was happening and was able to use his boat to sort of nudge the barge away from that area. It did eventually come to rest at the Bell Street Terminal, which is known as Pier 66. Fortunately, there was no other ship there, which it could have been because this is the pier Norwegian uses during the summer um, for its various sailings, mostly to Alaska. So kudos to Captain Dave and his water taxi for his quick thinking because it really helped avert what could have been a disaster and turned it into a much more manageable, small scale, you know, it, it was an accident instead of a disaster. And we're always glad when stories can end on that kind of positive note. You know, just from visiting the Seattle Aquarium a couple of times, they have that outside section that you kind of goes underneath the harbor there. So if people were in there and that barge got too close, it could have been a pretty scary accident. Wow, that sounds like something out of, you know, one of the Meg movies, mm -hmm. you know, or, or Jaws 3D. Yeah. All right, let's get out of here. Staff writer Richard Sims, you're back from your cruise, land legs all locked in. When's your next one? 60 days, 59 days. I'm hitting the uh, Carnival Venezia. Uh, and then after that is MSC Seaside. And then after that, I am looking right now at Holland America Eurodam. I've never done Holland America before, so I'm kind of psyched for that. So, yes, yeah, stacking them up. I was going to say, you got them stacked up there. Very good. Talk to you next week. Talk to you later. Adam and his wife just returned from a seven-night cruise on Norwegian Sky out of Port Miami. It went over to the Eastern Caribbean, and Adam Jones is on the line. How you doing, buddy? 
Good. How are you? Good, man. It's been a while since we uh, since I've heard your voice. So good to uh, good to talk to you again and talk about Norwegian Sky as we always do. We'll take a step back before we get to the ship. And you're up in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. You had to make your way down to Miami, Florida for this sailing. So give me some pre-cruise thoughts. What made you want to take this seven night on Sky? Normally, before the shutdown, this was a three and four nighter ship. So they they pivoted here after the shutdown. Yeah, we. Um being, uh, you know, through the lockdown, we, we didn't cruise at all. Um, I'm not vaccinated. The wife is. And so we decided uh, as soon as they said they were dropping the uh, the mandate that we were going to book a cruise. And so we, we booked it about three weeks ahead of time, just did a sailway rate. Uh, I think it was the very first sailing for any any ship without uh, a vaccine mandate. And it just, it lined up with uh, some vacation time my wife already had planned. It was a great price. Uh, you know, just everything worked out. We loved the itinerary, so we booked it. Gotcha. Now, when you're coming down from Knoxville, are you flying or driving? We've driven to Miami a couple times, and it's, you know, it's 12, 13, sometimes 14-hour drive, depending on traffic. Uh, you know, so we, we decided we were flying this time, and we actually we can fly Allegiant really uh, cheap out of Knoxville to uh, Fort Lauderdale, and then we just uh, Ubered down to Miami and stayed the night before. I love those uh, Allegiant and Frontier. You can go like anywhere sometimes for under a hundred bucks. Yeah, I think round trip for the two of us was maybe like two fifty before baggage or something. It was cheap. Yeah, that's awesome. So, did you uh, do any pre-cruise time down there at the port? No, we just ended up staying uh, one night at uh, Yotel Miami. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but mm-hmm. uh, it was actually a great place. Uh, it was very close to the cruise port. Uh, if you wanted to do some nightlife stuff uh, or nightlife stuff uh, the night before you could, and it was uh, quite a bit less expensive than all the other hotels in that area, and it was a very nice, uh, very nice hotel. Yeah, and for the people who aren't familiar with the Yotel brand, it's basically like you're in a it's almost like a small, like a cruise ship cabin, right? Yeah, it's kind of like everything's all in one room, and then over in the corner they have like glass walls that segregate the uh, the shower and the and the commode uh, from the rest of the room. But um, there's like mood lighting you can change the color of. Uh, the bed kind of turns into a couch with this motorized function. You know, it, it was just great. They had a nice pool up on uh, like level fifteen or something like that up in the hotel. Uh, had a bar up there, had a restaurant and a bar in the lobby. So it's just a really great place. Uh, it was a good find. I had no clue there was actually one down there in Miami. Every time I sail out of Manhattan, I always stay at the hotel in the, uh, I think it's like all 48th right there by the theater district because it's like so close to the cruise terminal. And I just, it's so small, compact, and it's all I really need for just a kind of a crash before the cruise the next day. Yeah, I looked into a little bit before we actually booked it, and I think the rooms at the Miami one are a little larger than some of the other ones. Some of the other ones are, like you said, they're really small. This one was probably, I don't know, uh, 12 by 15 or something like that. It was sort of the size of a normal hotel room, but just everything was done in a very efficient, compact, you know, well-use of the space sort of idea. Very cool. So you make your way down to Port Miami to embark Norwegian Sky. How was the embarkation process? And did you use the new, I believe it's Terminal B, the new Norwegian terminal down there? Yeah, the uh, Pearl of Miami, I think they call it. How long would you say it took you to get from the curb onto the ship? From the curb through the check-in process, I would say it was probably 20, 
five minutes or so, but then we ended up sitting uh, in the terminal. We were boarding group two. We ended up sitting there for probably about two hours waiting to actually board. So, you know, if you do have a uh, early check-in time, you probably are going to sit there a little while. Gotcha. Now, I'm sure, was this very um, emotional or emotional at all as you made your way on the gangway for the first time in over two years? Yeah, it it was uh, really excited, you know. It almost kind of felt like going on our first cruise, you know, the excitement that you have going on your first cruise. Yeah, we, we, we were really excited. That's awesome. What were your first impressions of Norwegian Sky? You know, we we weren't sure what to think. We booked it with such short notice. Uh, I knew it was one of Norwegian's smaller ships, but I didn't realize that it was, uh, I think, actually their smallest actual ship. And, um, you know, but we ended up being very impressed with it. I think things were laid out pretty well. Um, I did, like, uh, a week or two before going on the cruise, listen to um, your friend uh, Tommy, who had done a review for it years ago. You know, he was talking about some of the decks were you know, a little hard to navigate or whatever. I didn't find that we had a problem. Uh, we ended up having a bit of room in the aft of the ship. So, um, you know, most everything seemed to be right around where we wanted to be and where we were. You know, basically, it, it seems like on that ship, you're pretty much either, if you're not on the pool deck, you're on either, you know, six, seven, or eight, because that's the, the levels where everything's at, the Bliss nightclub uh, lounge and the uh, casino and and all the different uh, things to do on the ship tend to be on uh, six, seven, and eight. It seems like so. I think what confuses people is at the front there's that half deck on six, and then on the back of the ship there is that, that aft main dining room. It just drops down, so like you have to actually yeah. go up to get out of it. You can't just like walk down a hallway as you walk out of the dining room. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Yeah. And that is the dining room we ate at most nights. Um, and another thing about chicken that was very, um, very streamlined. And man, I hope we, you know, that this is one of the things that they keep from the, uh, you know, the, the lockdown and everything we learned from COVID and all that kind of stuff. But when we got on, we had to go to our muster station. Um, you know, before we go in on the cruise, they sent us an email. We watched a video or whatever, went and checked in with the, uh, the woman that was there at our muster station. She scanned us, told us a, a couple of little things in like 30 or 60 seconds and we were gone and we were, we're ready to, you know, to me, you don't really officially start the cruise until you've done the muster drill, you know, mm-hmm. and then after that, it's like, you're free to do whatever. And so it was really cool to be done in a couple of minutes after boarding. You make your way to your stateroom. What kind of stateroom did you have for this seven-night cruise, and what did you think of it? We just booked the sailaway rate, so it ended up being an inside cabin, and um, we were a little underwhelmed by it. It was very small. You know, it's what we what we knew we were getting ourselves into. That it would probably be pretty small. We did put in a uh, offer to do an upgrade, and we didn't get an email with a denial until um, like after we set sail. I think it was kind of weird, but. Um, yeah, it was pretty small, but, you know, we're kind of those people who we uh, appreciate going less expensive so that we can go more often. And we hope to get back to going two or three times a year like we used to before COVID. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, because if you don't really care about getting the perks with Norwegian, those sailaway rates are like just killer. Yeah. Yeah, we got a really good price on it. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about dining on board the ship here. Now, we have the um, Garden Cafe, which is the buffet area on board. Then you have the uh, couple of main dining rooms and only three specialty restaurants, I believe. Cagney's, La Cucina, and the Sushi Place. Um, So let's start at the top at the buffet area. How was your experience there and the quality of food? 
I thought the food quality was really good. Um, I, I will say that uh, Norwegian is usually not our first choice. I just ended up being this time that it was the one, you know, we were booking that it, everything lined up price and itinerary and timing and all that kind of stuff. But um, my wife ended up saying uh, that and dining being one of the reasons, but not the only reason, but she puts it in the top three of all the cruises that we've ever done. She just had a, a great time. We both had a great time. Um, but the, the food at the uh, the buffet seemed uh, good. You know, you know how buffets can be on a cruise ship, though. Sometimes there's some hits and misses, but we tended to be there for uh, breakfast uh, every morning. The only thing about breakfast seems like it's very repetitive. There's not really much variation in the menu for breakfast. And that's probably true on all cruise ships, but it really was front and center to me on this trip that, that it was you know pretty much the same exact offerings every day. Um, at lunch every day, there were different options. The carving station was always good. There was one day for lunch on the carving station. They had a pecan-crusted salmon that was amazing. So, yeah, I would say overall the food quality was pretty good. Sky has the one with the part of the buffet is outside on the back of the ship, too? Yeah, and we didn't really even discover that until, like, maybe the second or, or, or third or fourth day, probably. But after that, that ended up being our go-to spot, especially for breakfast, to be able to sit outside with the, they've got that awning kind of a thing back there that covers the area so that mm -hmm. there are some shredded seats. And then um, we ended up figuring out that our server that we liked from the main dining room was working there uh, in the mornings for breakfast. So um, it was just another reason to, to go out there for breakfast. Gotcha. Now, of course, there is freestyle dining on uh, with Norwegian Cruise Line, so there's no really set dining time, so you kind of just go when you'd like to go. How was the main dining experience for you throughout the weekend? How was the food in there? Um, we had a really great experience. Um, we do, that. that is one of the reasons that we don't tend to prefer Norwegian. We are kind of creatures of habit. We really do like to have, um, you know, like early dining, um, you know, and then, you know, late at night if we're hungry, we'll maybe hit up the buffet, order room service or something. And so um, what we ended up doing is just most nights uh, we were at the uh, the main dining room uh, either at or shortly after opening. And on the first night, we just had a great server. And so after that, we just ended up requesting him every night. And uh, one night we got there a little bit late, maybe 30, 45 minutes after it opened. And he was uh, too busy. He couldn't take another table. So we ended up uh, not being able to have him. But you know, that was for us kind of a, a great thing. That's one of the reasons we like set dining on other uh, cruise lines is because you get to know your servers, they get to know you, and you kind of get that experience. And so this was, for us, a, a workaround, a good way to uh, to achieve that same sort of experience without having uh, the, the set dining time, I guess, that you would normally have on another line. But as far as the food, everything was great. I, I can't think of a bad dish, uh, really, uh, on the whole cruise. Any quick eats for y'all, um, like any kind of poolside venues or anything like that outside of the main dining rooms and the buffets? I don't recall anything specific. I mean, during um, lunch, oh, they do have uh, specialty dining. They do have uh, La Bistro, too. I don't know if you mentioned that earlier. So they have the French, Italian, the steakhouse, and the sushi. So they have four. During the day, the Italian is uh, a pizza buffet, basically. So uh, the wife had that a couple of times. I'm on a, a new diet where I'm trying to avoid uh, some of those things. So, um, you know, we usually mostly just hit up the buffet for lunch. Okay, very good. So let's talk about the entertainment on this seven-night sailing. What did y'all think? 
Overall, I would say the entertainment was pretty good. Um, they had a comedian on board, uh, Willie Barcena, I think was his name. He's uh, actually had a couple of uh, specials uh, published, and um, he was actually really good. We didn't make it to too many of the regular um, shows, but you know we did go to a lot of the little things that they would host in the Bliss Lounge. So they have Newlywed Show, and uh, um, I forget the other one, but it's a variation on the Newlywed Show, but it's the one where they do physical challenges and stuff. And um, different things that they would do. Uh, we did a salsa uh, class in there one day. And so we actually ended up spending a lot of time in the Bliss Lounge late at night. It becomes a nightclub. But uh, during the day, a lot of times that's where a lot of the things are hosted. I will say that we did find that um, even though we, we really enjoyed ourselves, we loved the, the ship, we loved the cruise. But one of the things that we felt was a little lacking was it seems like, like when you're on Carnival, for instance, there will be a lot of things on the daily planner every day, and so much so that sometimes you have to really decide which thing you'd like to do more because you can't go to both. And on this one, it felt like sometimes there were a lot of holes in the schedule where there either uh, was nothing to do or nothing that we cared to do on the daily planner. So, you know, for what it's worth, um, if you're the type of person who needs to be constantly entertaining, you can't just relax and go with the flow then you may have to keep that in mind, but we had a great time anyway. Very cool. Let's talk about the sea days on this seven-night cruise. Um, how were they as far as crowds and congestion, and did you ever find out the capacity of your sailing? We did not find the capacity. We didn't have a whole lot of trouble with congestion. You know, there were a few issues uh, where, you know, some people were looking for seats around the pool who maybe got up a little too late to, to get a seat. There was one lady who we observed multiple times throughout the cruise, trying to like take people's towels and throw them on the, the deck and, and take over a seat. And she'd get called out and have to move along. And we started calling her Karen. Um, but uh, anyway, so th there were a couple of issues like that, but most of the time it wasn't too crowded. And in fact, we ended up meeting a couple uh, on the ship who their last sailing before COVID happened was on the sky. And this was their first sailing um, since COVID. And they said that when their previous sailing, it was really packed. It was hard to find a seat when you would go to the theater or the Bliss Lounge or around the pool or even just, uh, you know, trying to go to the buffet and get a table uh, for lunch. Um, that it was really hard to find a seat and that they didn't have any of those troubles. So they suspected that we were not at full capacity. Um, but I don't know, you know what the actual capacity of the ship was that day. How about the casino as far as the smoking situation in and around it, or was smoking even allowed in there? They do still allow smoking. And, you know, as someone who doesn't smoke, I don't know that I'm super sensitive. You know, I've been around people all my life who smoke, so it doesn't really necessarily bother me. But uh, it was a pretty strong smell of smoke. And even because uh, the casino empties into the atrium on that uh, deck that the casino's on, Sometimes uh, even just uh, outside the uh, casino in the atrium, you, you can smell every now and then a waft of, of cigarette smoke. So it, it's kind of pungent. And, you know, when you, a lot of times I, you know, I like to gamble uh, and kind of get back to the room late at night and have to freeze the clothes that I wore to the casino if I don't want them to stink the rest of the cruise and, you mm -hmm. know, sit in the closet and <laughs> stink right. up the rest of my clothes. Mm -hmm. So I am excited for our next cruise, I think, is uh, they have a smoking section in the casino um, that's segregated. So maybe you don't have to deal with that. 
Yeah, for sure. So on this itinerary, you went to the DR, St. Thomas, Tortola, and then Norwegian's private island, Great Stirrup. So how was the DR? Because that's a that's a fairly new destination for them. Yeah, um, we had a great time in, in Dominican. I will say that um, before we get too much into that, just in general, as far as, you know, to me, there's kind of like three things you can do when you go to any cruise port. You can book a, an excursion through the ship. You can book an excursion on your own and you can just maybe wander around and, and play it by ear and go with the flow, find something to do in the port area. And on this trip, we kind of did all of the above. I know there's some people who swear by only booking through the ship and some people say that's a rip off and they only book third party. We kind of did one of each of these categories uh, on this sailing. And in the Dominican, we ended up booking through a Viator with a local tour guide to do the 27 waterfalls excursion. And it ended up being about 40% cheaper than booking it through the ship. And the reason I decided to do that in the Dominican was because doing my research, looking at the map, it was only like 30 minutes from the cruise port. We had plenty of time. It was only like a three and a half hour excursion. We were going to be in port like six or seven hours. So I felt like there was a plenty big enough window that we didn't have to worry about it. And um, it was great. The guy was uh, waiting on us right outside uh, the gate. His company is Edwin Transfer Tours. And um, he was great. Uh, as it turns out, we were the only people who booked with him that day. And um, so we basically had a private tour guide, even though he could have taken up to maybe about 12 people. We basically had a private tour and we got to the waterfalls. The ship's groups were there. There were two large groups with the ship that had gone on uh, for this excursion. We were there at the exact same time as them. We got there. Uh, he handed us off to a guide from the waterfalls who took us up. We did that excursion. It's great. I don't know if you've done that one, Doug, but um, it's it's remarkable. It really is. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, we're going back there in uh, on our sailing in March, and we're planning to do that same excursion again. Wow. And then the, the thing that was noteworthy is, yeah, our, ours was uh, 40% less than doing it through the ship, but where the ship only took you there and took you back, our guide, we had lunch uh, at the waterfalls, they have a, a buffet of authentic Dominican food there um, that you can partake in for the people on the ship. It was an extra charge for us. It was included. And then um, when we left there on the way back to the port, he took us by uh, and did kind of a little cultural educational kind of experience where we learned how the Dominican people make coffee and chocolate and everything. And um, it was just great. I, I can't recommend uh, Edwin and his uh, and his company uh, enough. They they did a great job. We had an amazing experience. That's awesome. And then your next port of call was St. Thomas. What did you do there for the day? So St. Thomas is the one we decided to kind of play it by ear. And um, we ended up just getting a taxi to uh, Sapphire Beach and uh, just kind of had a beach day. You know, taxi ride back and got back on the ship. And your next port of call is always a crowd favorite. You went to Tortola. What did you do there? Yeah, so at Tortola, we, uh, that's the one where we decided to book through the ship. Uh, we were in port very early that morning. Uh, we were leaving at 1, I think we were 6 a.m. to 1 p.m., something like that. And I knew that we wanted to do the baths uh, excursion, uh, which they have to, you have to take a ferry ride over to uh, Virgin Gorda. Uh, and then there's a bus ride after that. And so it was like, you know, I'm not going to take a chance on booking this uh, third party and then possibly missing the ship. So this was one where we played it safe, paid the extra to, to book it through the ship. 
Um, but once again, had a great, uh, great time, great excursion. What is Virgin Gorda like? Is it a state park or? Yeah, I think it's it's a park of sorts. Um, and yeah, it's basically you kind of hike down a hill and through the woods a little bit. And then there's a couple places to have like an overlook photo opportunity. Um, and then as you get down to um, Devil's Bay area, um, they have what they call the caves. And basically it's just these massive boulders that are the sizes of uh, of like houses and, and large buildings that are kind of just like leaning against one another and you can climb between them and walk between them and the water comes in and it, it's like a flooded cave in some areas and other parts you have to climb up and over and the, I'm a tall guy there's a couple of them I had to crawl on my hands and knees to get through but um, you know it's just a very interesting experience. Very cool. And your final port was their private island, which is great stirrup. Now, you have to actually tender there. There's not a dock built there yet. They keep saying there could be one in the uh, not-too-distant future, but that's yet to be seen. Um, how was your day at Great Stirrup? Uh, we had a great day. It looked like that there weren't a whole lot of opportunities for shade uh, on the island. So, And I'm one that doesn't like to sit out and roast in the sun all day. So we ended up booking through the ship. Uh, actually, we booked it ahead of time uh, through the app, one of their villas in Silver Cove, the Silver Cove area. And um, it was great. You know, uh, we had, they took us by a cart over to our villa, checked us in, and um, you know, we had a server that came by and checked on us regularly. I had access to a beach that was only for the Silver Cove area. Um, it had its own buffet that uh, apparently from talking to other passengers on the ship that the food at that buffet sounded like it was much better than the food at the regular buffet on the island that it was kind of just burgers and hot dogs and typical uh you know fare at the regular buffet where we had all sorts of things um you know roast beef and uh, grilled vegetables and just you know all, all kinds of really good stuff and yeah we just once again just had, kind of had a relaxing day at uh, at our villa do you have good weather there yeah it was amazing weather you know a little bit overcast here and there, which was fine for us because uh, we took opportunity while it was overcast a little bit to uh, to jump in the water uh, before uh, went and had lunch. Um, but then it was sunny the rest of the day, so it was nice to be able to kind of sit in the shade. And, and those villas also have on the little porch area where you have your sun lounge or your loungers rather. Um, there's a, a ceiling fan so that if there's not a breeze, you can still kind of have a breeze. So it was just great. Yeah, very cool. So you make your way back to Port Miami. How was debark? Debarkation was great. Uh, once again, another example of something that uh, I hope we keep after all all this kind of gets back to quote unquote normal. When we went to get off the ship, we were delayed a little bit because we were kind of changing our plans on the fly as far as uh, which flight we were going to take to get back to Knoxville. So we ended up sitting uh, in the lounge area actually at the sushi bar where we could get some cell phone reception and figure out what our plans were going to be. So we got off the ship a little later than we normally would. We would normally try to be early and up and out of there. So there was kind of a line to get off, and I, I was wondering why the line was moving so slowly, and then I realized what they had done was rather than having the, um, what do they call the agents? They're always there. Like Custom Border but, Patrol? Um, yeah, the, the border agents, yeah, mm -hmm. where you have to go through and show me passport and all that kind of stuff. Rather than having that in the terminal, they had them on the ship. And uh, another thing that they had on this cruise that I forgot to mention was every time we got off and on the ship, they didn't scan your card. You just put your face in front of a 
uh, camera and it scanned your face basically. So it was some sort of facial recognition, hmm. which is why thinking back beforehand, when you had to do the online check-in stuff, the app was being so particular about getting a, a photo because I had to take it like five or six times. It was a little annoying. But then after seeing how they do it on the ship, now I realized they needed a, a specific, you know, criteria for the photo. Right. But when you were de- uh, disembarking from the ship, they scanned your face. And if for any reason there was some sort of flag, they had a table where you go over and you talk to the uh, the border agent. Um, but anybody else who didn't get flagged, they just proceeded directly off the ship. Um, you didn't have to have your documents in hand. You're out the door. Quick and simple for most everybody. Any first-time tips to offer someone who may be considering or who is sailing Norwegian Sky? I don't know how I feel. We had actually some people that we met on the ship who were first-time cruisers, and they said that they would definitely cruise again. But, um, you know, I don't know if I would recommend the Sky as a first cruise for someone. I guess it just depends on what they want. You know, if you want a low-key experience where you can kind of go with the flow, Norwegian is pretty good about that. You know, it's not a massive party atmosphere like a lot of people say Carnival is. There's not quite as many kids as you might see on like a Royal Caribbean or a Disney. So, you know, if you're kind of a go with the flow and don't have to be constantly entertained, you can have a great time. And we did have a great time. Like I said, my wife said it was in our top three cruises we ever did. So, um, you know, we would definitely go on the sky again. That's awesome. Now, looking back, what was the biggest highlight for y'all? And it's really hard to say. Um, probably the biggest highlight was probably Dominican Republic. I think, um, you know, we had never been there before. Uh, we had a great tour guide. We had a great experience at the waterfalls. You know, just overall was a great day. And so, yeah, that, that would probably be um, if I had to choose one or single single biggest highlight. And in closing here, Adam, your final thoughts of Norwegian Sky. Uh, like I said, it's um, you know it's probably their smallest ship, but we would go again. We enjoyed it. We had a great time. Uh, we had great staff that made our trip uh, amazing. And um, yeah, keep up the good work, I guess. Very good. Adam, it's great talking to you. And thank you so much for sharing this review with us of the seven-night sailing aboard Norwegian Sky. We sure appreciate it. Thanks, Doug. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, Give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.